In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the third Sunday of Pelon. Um, Christ is continuing to prevail in today's uh, uh, gospel reading. He's pre- uh, continuing to prevail in his ministry. He's gaining a lot of people. He's gaining a lot of fame throughout the country. And he's all the uh, multitude is beginning to follow him. Um, in John twelve nineteen, it says that the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So God now, uh, through Christ, is now uh, spreading the gospel and everyone's beginning to follow him. In this case, a person was brought to him in today's gospel and he was demon possessed. He was uh, blind and he was mute and Christ healed him. And so when he healed this miserable person through this act of kindness, um, we see that strangely the people, the Pharisees specifically, they didn't criticize the act itself as an act of kindness, but they started criticizing Christ with something so absurd as to say that he's doing this good deed through being possessed by Beelzebub, the uh, leader of the demons. Um, So they didn't criticize the act, though. They criticized the doer of the act. We see um, this is what's called in uh, the the attorneys that we have in the audience would appreciate this. It's called in Latin argumentum ad hominem. It's like a fallacy. It's an illogical uh, way of uh, debating with somebody when you attack the giver of the argument for his personal attacks rather than the argument that that person's giving himself, right? And you see this a lot in politics where people... The politicians will attack the person of each other, but they don't attack the issues that they stand for. So they'll attack their history, the things they've done in the past, but everything except the issues that they stand for, their platform that their politics are standing for. Um, So what does this show us that the Pharisees who did the same thing here, they don't attack the thing he does, but they just attack him personally. They show that they don't care about the issues itself or the fact that this person was freed from being demon-possessed or the fact that he is divine because he's able to do these things. Uh, They just care about the fact that he is now gaining that multitude's honor, uh, the honor from the multitude, the the respect from the congregations and and, uh, that around him, the the many people that now sought Jesus rather than the Pharisees. So they were very jealous. So they said this out of jealousy or envy. Here the Pharisees do the same thing because they, they desperately seek the approval of other people. They were a slave to what other people thought. Um, but they attribute Christ's liberating, liberating acts, the things that he did to free this poor person, to Satan himself. Okay, So it seems kind of insane, right, that they do that. But because of this envy, they, they do say that. And this isn't the first time they say it too, as we'll touch on later. Um, but we also see the same kind of insanity among people today when they seek too much uh, the honor and the approval of the people around them. Uh, being a slave to what other people think is a warfare that we've struggled with since we were youth. In fact, we define one major milestone among the high school and college kids uh, in their maturity if they are able to stand up on their own and um, overcome the, the fierce battles of peer pressure uh, when they're able to overcome that, then we say, wow, this person's not mature. He's able or she's able to think for themselves. Um, and so when they show such independence, we're very proud of them, right? But being a slave to what other people think always causes misery. It always causes pain. Um, you're trying to appease the unappeasable. You're trying to make happy 
people that you know, you can't make everyone happy, right? Uh, such a master, which is the you know seeking approval of other people, is a very cruel master if you're a slave to that. Um, one cannot breathe; he can't walk, or think, or talk, without double guessing him or herself, saying, "Is this going to be okay with this mysterious group of people that they're now seeking appro approval on?" Also, you can't please everybody, right? And so everyone in the multitude, as you know, every single person has their own opinion. And oftentimes every single person reaches that own opinion without any research or without any really any, any depth, but it's very easy for them to have that opinion. And so uh, they form their own conclusions. And so it's pretty much impossible to please everyone. So to try to please the multitude is a, is a very tiring and very difficult thing. And in an attempt to please the multitude, one can oftentimes become like hypocritical or they can become um, uh, flattering. They can try to flatter people like, uh, you know, kiss up to people and just uh, they become envious if they don't get it. So and doing that, they lose their own personality and character. That's why um, they said Christ was possessed, because they envied the honor that was from the multitude that Christ was beginning to get. And he was growing more and more. With, with the multitude. And when one is prospering, um, it's great, uh, but they become arrogant, right? When someone's prospering and the multitude is for them and the multitude thinks great, greatly upon them, they become arrogant. But when the multitude's against them, they are in the worst of misery, right? They wanna just hide under a rock or something, right? We see this a lot in the movie stars. Um, uh, think, uh, imagine the greatest music or movie stars that you can think of. Uh, the only thing the fans like more than to raise them to a pedestal is to see them fall from that pedestal, right? That's the only thing that is better than holding them up as an idol is to also see them fall as well. And you see the reactions of those movie stars, right? They, they're never happy. They're always in divorces. They're on drugs. They, they go on drugs. They, very few are able to navigate those really tricky waters of seeking the approval of the multitude. So therefore, let's, uh, when we, you know, do something that's right, we do it for pleasing God only, and we seek favor and his approval only, who deeply desires to honor us more than the multitude can ever desire to honor us. Uh, he seeks to honor us in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of angels, and even in the eyes of our enemies, and he gives us more precious and, and uh, joyous gifts than any multitude can. But let's return back to our story. Um, this wasn't the first time earlier in the gospel the Pharisees accuse him of this same kind of demonic power, using demonic power to do good things. Um, and he responds here, though. The first time he didn't respond, he kind of let it go. This time he said it's time to respond. So he responds with four responses, four refutations to them, and we'll go through each one. So the first thing he says is a universal truth. He says, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. This is a universal truth, not just for the demons and the kingdom of the evil powers, but also for us as well. A, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A home, a family divided against itself is vulnerable. A church that's divided also becomes vulnerable and it causes a lot of pain. A nation that is divided is vulnerable. Um, this goes for everything, right? That when we're divided, even our own selves, if we're divided internally, we are more vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. 
and from the attacks of other people as well. We're currently in the Apostles' Fast, and we know that one great example of unity and oneness is the Apostles themselves. They, um, they showed such amazing qualities uh, during this time, and we read during this fast fasting period, we read the book of Acts usually, um, and the book of Acts uh, themselves show them going all over the world, um, and you know, on land, on foot, on horseback, um, all over the world. Amazing what they accomplished uh, without the technology that we have today. That can sometimes be a, a, a distraction as well. Um, so once, like they were so fearful, now they're going all over the world. Once they worried about how to feed the multitudes, they worried about using the precious oil to uh, to anoint the feet of Christ. They were they worried about money. Right, but now they hated those kind of things. They hated and they disdained all sorts of uh, worldly desires and, and, and money and passion. Before they argued, if you recall, they would argue among themselves about who would be first in the kingdom of God. And they debated among themselves. And they'd ask, they'd ask Christ, can I, can I be first? Can I sit at your right hand? And the other apostles got upset with them for asking that, right? And so now, we see the complete opposite. We don't hear once that now that they've gone over the, uh, into the whole world after the Pentecost, after they received the Holy Spirit, and they now have a deeper understanding of things. They are now all over the world in great unity and love towards each other. Um, the apostles showed an amazing amount of unity and love. If you read about the early church and how they functioned, they basically put everything in one pot and, and shared it. Imagine today if we said, let's, let's open up a Wells Fargo banking account and let's all put all of our money in that account and as you need it, you just take it, being mindful of the needs of others, right? That's kind of what they did back then. And it was an amazing spirit of unity and love. Don't worry, we're not gonna ask you to do that. But it is a good example of what's on their mind and, and how they functioned uh, and what they taught the people. St. John Chrysostom has a nice quote. The apostles first taught by their conduct and then by their words. No, rather they had no need of words. For when their deeds spoke so loud, they had no need for words. For that is the best teaching, which teaches by action. Christ also said, In this all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. On Pentecost we read that they were praying together in unity with one accord in the upper room. Observe, St. John Chrysostom says, Observe how one is continuing in prayer when one is in love and in unity. It is then that the Spirit draws near. It's then that the Holy Spirit is active. He's always near us, no matter what. Even when we're fighting each other, He's always near us. But He is active and he, we will see His wonders if we are together, praying together in unity and love and helping each other, always being accepting of one another. That's when Christ, the Holy Spirit, draws near and is active in our lives. God deeply desires such unity, for he says that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. St. Paul also, and there are many other verses, I'm just reading a few of these, um, in Ephesians says that we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and he says bond here to, to signify what level of unity we should have. We should be bound to one another. And finally, in uh, Proverbs 18, 19, the Septuagint says, Brother helped by brother is a strong city. 
Brother helped by brother is a strong city. We are stronger when we're united together and not allowing the devil to divide us. We see that in churches. We see that among our families. We see how, of course, money is one of the main reasons why those divisions happen. The pride of life, you know, the honor that is uh, lost, the, the perceived honor that is lost. Those are the kind of things that divide. We have to labor and, and fight and, and um, work really hard to make sure that that unity is always practiced, that, that unity that Christ taught. And there are a thousand reasons why that unity can be lost, right? As, as much as there are a thousand faults in each of us, um, that threatens that love between us. Um, we have to be on top of that. Our enemy loves nothing more than to plant seeds of dissent, seeds of division among us. And he plants those seeds such as pride, envy, dispute, the lack of love. He, he plants all those in us. But it's up to us whether or not we, we can't stop him from planting, but it's up to us whether or not we let those seeds grow into full division and um and arguments and and hatred we have to fight that with all of our strength um that unity which we have in each other and with all the saints and with all the angels and with christ himself we receive on the eucharist so especially among ourselves who receive of the eucharist we are one body and christ's body cannot be divided um, we have to stay together this is how he unified all of his people into his body through the baptism and through the Eucharist and through our common faith. And this is Christ's body. So that was his first response, right? That a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And the Pharisees had no response to this. But he didn't stop at that. He has three more to go. He says that the apostles, his second refutation, second response, his Look, my apostles are doing the same thing. They also are casting out demons, healing the sick, and raising the dead. You had no issues with them, but because I'm doing it, you have issues with me. Two points here. That number one, he grants this power to the apostles. So only God can grant that power of healing and of casting out demons. Um, but Christ was uh, freeing those in torment as well, so they attacked him personally. Um, the other point is that the apostles themselves were able to do it, right? So the apostles uh, having this power um, was something that only God can give, right? We do not have power in or among ourselves to heal anyone, right? We can't heal the sick or cast out demons. We only do it without Christ. We can do nothing, right? So they saw that such liberty was now granted to humanity and Christ gently rebukes them. And even now, in the face of such an observed, uh, absurd insult, he is so gentle with them. He says, if I am casting out by the finger of God, by the Spirit of God, don't you know now that the kingdom of God has come upon you? He says that shouldn't you now be rejoicing in the fact that the kingdom of God is close to you instead of being envious and allowing envy to blind you? So he was very gentle with him, uh, with, with the Pharisees, even to this point. The third, the third response he has to this uh, amazing uh, thing that the Pharisees said, he says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he plunders his house? Christ comes to tackle, to bind, and to overcome the strong man, who is Satan, of course. 
so that he can take back what Satan stole from God in the first place. It already belonged to God. God came back and tackled this, this so-called strong man, tackled him, overcame him, and um, returned back what already belongs to God. He calls Satan the strong man because he is a powerful angel. Even though he was cast out of heaven and lost his purity and lost his relationship with God, that, that great joy that he had once as a cherubim, um, he still retained the power of an angel. So the angel, um, the angel characteristics, he still has. And so he still has those attributes. Before the crucifixion, he was called the prince of the world. He misled the whole, uh, the whole humanity into paganism after Adam and Eve. His super, he also has supernatural powers, as we see in the book of Job, how he was able to uh, give him disease with God's will, of course, um, within the parameters of God's will. And he was also able to cause a mighty wind to, so strong that it actually uh, cast down the, the house of Job. We know in the last days he um, will also control the Antichrist, and he will bring about many lying and deceitful um, so-called miracles or wonders that people will perceive as, as miracles. Of course, he has power to tempt many. Um, we saw him overcome David, mighty people like David and Solomon and, and St. Peter and the apostles. Uh, he's very smart. He's diligent. He has thousands of years of experience dealing with humanity. He is the best psychologist out there because he's got thousands of years of experience dealing with humanity. He's very resourceful. He never gives up. Uh, he's a liar. He's very resourceful. Um, he hates us with a, an evil, a very cruel, perfect, and evil hatred. And we are at war with him, and there is no negotiations with him whatsoever. But having said all that, Christ, Christians are not afraid of him in the least. We, we hear today a Satan of Fur, he battled a lot with uh, Satan and overcame, them, uh, overcame him through Christ, with the strength of Jesus Christ. For he who is stronger is in us than he who is in the world. Our ever victorious Lord makes open war against Satan and all of his evil powers. He bound him through the cross and gives us the power to also wage war and to overcome and to help take back what belongs to God in the first place. This is kind of a long quote by St. Paul in Ephesians, but I'll read it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. St. Athanasius would say, our enemies are not the Arians, it is Satan himself. Our enemies are not the Arians or the heretics or the Muslims or the, or the atheists. They are not our enemies. We love them. Our enemy is Satan directly. We know, we see the truth of the matter and that he is our true enemy. And we have to take the weapons. If we are indeed in warfare, we have to take those spiritual weapons in hand. As St. Paul talks about the gospel, uh, uh, that we should shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. One of the most powerful weapons we have in our fight, in our spiritual warfares, is humility. Um, 
we we know one of the desert fathers, one of the stories that, you know, one of the saints, I forgot which saint specifically, but he was praying and a demon came to him and said, you know, you stay up all night, O monk, we never sleep. You, you fast, we never eat. But one thing that you do that confounds and confuses us, and that is your humility. We cannot overcome the humility. And God demanded that he reveal this to the, uh, to the saint so that he can teach us as well. So humility is something that almost is like poison to the demons. So if we're humble and we call upon the name of Jesus Christ, no demon can stand in our, uh, in our presence. Courage is another weapon that we have to take with us in the face of, of the enemy. Um, I love the story of St. Anthony, how he was praying and the demons would appear to him in all sorts of frightening visions. He would appear, they would appear to him in a uh, vision of a lion, a bear, a serpent, a dragon. They would make all their sounds that would be peculiar to each of the animals that, he, that appeared to him. And, and they would appear to him in the middle of the night while he was praying in a cemetery. Okay? And they would just roar at him and like pretending to, like they're right about to attack him. And he would just simply pray, and he, and then finally he looked at them and said, you know, why are you making such a fuss? If you had any power against me at all, only one of you is strong enough. Why, why come in such an array of fearful uh, animals and so many of you? The smallest of you is able to overcome me. And the fact that you have no power of me uh, over me, you try to make me afraid so that I may lose the grace that God has given me. Fear makes us lose the grace. Courage allows us to happen, uh, to have God's grace in us. So we hear that um, this amazing courage and this overcoming, when he called upon the name of Jesus Christ, all those uh, demons, they disappeared. So Christ so dramatically opposes Satan. Um, this is the fourth response. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. What he's saying here is that Christ so dramatically is opposed and is against Satan and all of his evil ways that it adds to the craziness of this accusation, right? Holiness, love, hope, virtue, peace. This is, these are the things that Christ preached. It was Christianity that drove out the paganism from the world. So these Pharisees should have known better that, um, that evil and what Christ is uh uh, presenting and the things he's doing and the peace and the and he's returning the dead back to their loved ones again these kind of loving acts of kindness are dramatically opposed to evil and satan and all of his evil powers um, satan on the other hand wants a general trend norms of society to go towards evil um, with corrupt values, beliefs, and, and, and practices. Promiscuity, we're dealing with uh, gender issues. Our school districts are being challenged these days. Hate, confusion, violence are all qualities that Satan has, right? Without debate. No one debates this. Even the Pharisees wouldn't debate this. But our Lord Jesus Christ was against all this. Christianity is against all this. The Christian is against all of this. And oftentimes the Christian is alone against all of this. And it should be no surprise that sometimes we are alone. Um, at the time of the crucifixion, the whole multitude was screaming, crucify him. At the times of uh, King Ahab, 
the whole multitude worship idols except for 7,000 people among hundreds of thousands of people. Among Moses' time, the whole multitude uh, were condemned for their rebellion and only Joshua and Caleb entered into the promised land. But the Christian stands in opposition to an evil world even if he or she is by themselves because they seek to please God, not everyone else. So may God grant us this courage and strength of character as he did with all of his saints to overcome every arrow and every um, war and battle of the enemy um, as he did with all the saints and the choir of the martyrs who stand firm before us through the power of the resurrection the Holy Spirit which dwells within us now and forever unto the ages of all ages. Amen. We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net that's www.stbasil.net or click on the link below when it will take you to our donations page you may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website we thank you for any contribution and may our lord jesus christ always bless your heart and home